The Courage to Grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today. On the menu today, um, and I thought I knew a fortune about what it took to start a business before I started this journey, and then I discovered that I knew absolutely nothing. So for me, leadership, it's about being genuinely obsessed with the development of others. If I compare and contrast it with just management. Certain people are meant to be the face of the business, and we'll talk about what that means, and certain people are quite clearly the wrong person to be representing even the business that they formed. Why are you so sensitive about <laughs> talking about this? Welcome to the Big Small Business Show, and as entrepreneurs we know that our journey is filled with obstacles. But I once went to see one of the, the top entrepreneurs in the country and he said that the only reason he became successful is because he had no escape plan, he had no plan B. We have no way out. There's our escape door and we cannot go. But as entrepreneurs, we, when doors are locked, when we cannot get through them, sometimes we try and get through the keyholes. We as entrepreneurs have to push through. Now our guest for today is Lisa Lin. Lisa Lin is the CEO of a company called The Sun Exchange. And um, they do some very interesting, some, some, some very interesting futuristic stuff, which we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the segment. Thank you. Right, so let's just start off by what does The Sun Exchange actually do? What, what do you do? So what The Sun Exchange does is it allows anyone in the world to buy into a solar project um, they can fractional ownership of a solar project. We then deploy uh, solar panels uh, into a project, usually uh, an organization like a school or a factory. And the owners of the solar panel get rental as the, as the off-taker, but that factory or school is using the electricity. Um, okay, so we need to just to unpack the word fractal. It means that they have a share in, yep. in, in that project. Not in one single solar panel, but would it be in the, in the No, project? they actually own, they own solar cells. So each, each solar panel has yeah. 60 or 80 cells, depending on the make, and we actually sell the individual cells in those panels. So you can actually get an owner's certificate that says your cell numbers are these numbers. Yeah, but you can't go claim them and could remove If them. you want to claim them, we'll send them to you, but uh, you won't get any rental. Okay. <laughs> They're not worth a hell of a lot on their own. This, this model is, is a South African model or a, a, an international model? So our founder, Abe Cambridge, is a solar engineer with a master's in climate change. Yeah. Um, he came to South Africa a few years ago and couldn't get over the fact that we just don't really do solar that much here. And there's so many opportunities for solar. Um, and he, he developed this model with um, initial, Im, initial implementation in Cape Town. Um, and subsequently we've done projects elsewhere in the country. But it, the, country, the company itself is a, an American company with a South African subsidiary. And the American company has been doing this in, in the US? No, no. The American company is really at this point just a holding company. The South yeah. African company is the first operational company. So, in, in, so the thinking here is that, just let me just try and summarize this 
um, that you, you buy these panels, you've decided which panels are the most efficient and suitable, you decide that. You sell um, parts of these, these cell, what do you call them, cells? They sell the cells. cells. You sell them as a, a fractally into a client who says I want to buy X percentage or X number of a project. And then the client, which might be a school or a hospital or whatever, buys that electricity at a predetermined rate. What's in it for them is? We, we supply electricity cheaper than they would get from ESCOM. So okay. our rates are generally about 10% less than ESCOM. Okay. Uh, so they get a, so that's they get a win on for them. There. And what they contribute to the project generally is their roof. Or um, we've just done a project at the Nasna Elephant Park, and that was uh, freestanding on the ground. Some of it. Um, okay. So so that that's they they get a ten percent upside mm. for or in terms of savings. Yes. And then they are locked into a ten or twenty year uh, a time period. It's a twenty year agreement. Agreement. Yeah. And over the period of time, assuming ESCOMs pricing will escalate at a certain rate, though the savings might even be more than 10%. Absolutely. So we, ke we are keeping our pricing tied to the ESCOM rate, but you will never, you'll never pay more than 10%, uh, a 10% deduction on the ESCOM rate. Okay, so, so now looking at the, the business that's a startup in South Africa, yes. you've got uh, six founders here, 11 permanent staff and, 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 and five, let's call it Part-timers. Part-timers that are used full-time. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so you're in a startup phase, yes, effectively. very much. And, and you've come from a, a businesses that you've built in the past where substantial businesses. Um, just from your point of view, how does it feel like going back into that startup phase? I imagined um, I, the, the business I was part of before, um, which, which was really a services business, and we built from five people to well over 100 when I left. Um, I, I thought I knew about building businesses, and I also thought I knew about technology because I've been working in software and building software and working with software teams for 25 years. Um, and I thought I knew a fortune about what it took to start a business before I started this journey. And then I discovered that I knew absolutely nothing. Um, and I went through two years of an incredibly steep learning curve. Um, and it was towards the, sort of the end of that two-year period that I decided to take the position with the Sun Exchange. And, and I've been officially with them now for about a year. And, and in terms of the, the, the model now, there's two sides now. You have to find the site of the project. Yes. And then you crowdfund in or the, you have to get people to fund or buy those cells. Yes. So there's two elements of success, right? Yes. Okay. And then there's keeping the efficiency of the business in the middle. Yes. That the, the differential between the two has to be higher than the cost of, of the operating cost. That's Absolutely. really the, the model. Yeah. So let's talk to on the on the left hand side now the actual how you get the people who buy buy the the cells. How do you get them? How do you market to them? So it's very much a, a crowdfunding, crowd buying type model. Um, we have our, our website, which is a crowdfunding site, uh, and people come in and, and buy cells. Um, but we, uh, I, I think um, Abe is probably the world's best marketer. I've, I've seldom met anyone who's quite as efficient. Um, incredibly well known um, across the world, in fact, um, for both his solar knowledge and, and, and the blockchain footprint that, that he has. We haven't mentioned the blockchain, but there's a blockchain component to the business. Um, and we find that our customers 
tend to work tend to come from two different camps. One is that they come from a um, renewable energy wanting to 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 change the way the world's infrastructure works. Yeah. And the other group of people are the blockchain evangelists who want to change the way the the money infrastructure of the world works. Um, so we do have these two groups of people. We've used Facebook advertising extensively. Um, we are incredibly well. Uh, sort of widely quoted all over the place. We've, our, our PR has been exceptionally good. So we have actually much more, we have many more people coming to us than we can service at this point. So it, why, would I, why would I do that versus putting my money in the bank? Why would I choose this? Is it, a, is it an emotive buy? In other words, I'm doing it for the good of the planet, which is, I know, but, or, or is, is there a commercial return for me as a... It's both. As a as a, a, um, a customer, we are expecting you to get a, an internal rate of return of 10% um, over the duration of the project. So you get a return for having bought the cells, but at the same time you're doing some good in the world. Okay. Um, so it, it it is both. You know the other the other thing that occurs to me from your question is that we are really still dealing with early adopters. Mm -hmm. uh, you know people who are passionate and knowledgeable about one of these two areas. Okay. Um, we do have some mainstream customers. What tends to happen at a place like the uh, schools, for example, or one of our projects at the schools, parents bought solar cells for their children. Okay. And the rental for those solar cells goes into those children's bank accounts. So there is, it's kind That's of a different, yeah, yeah it's, a, it, it's a different place. Uh, you know, those people wouldn't call themselves either solar or blockchain evangelists. Uh, they're very middle of the road folk. But we are marketing into, into that community because we're doing a project for that school. Okay. We're going to have to take a break now. When we come back, I'm going to be asking questions around the other side of the equation in terms of how do they find the project. Welcome back. Uh, now with me is Lisa Lynch, she's CEO of the Sun Exchange. And uh, before the break, we were talking about what the business does and uh, sort of the elements of the, the business model. On the one side, this was about crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, getting people to come and buy solar panels or parts of solar panels. On the other side, this was finding the projects uh, for those solar panels to be installed into with the offtake being the, the people whose property the, those solar panels were on or nearby. So how do you, how do you actually get those projects? So um, generally projects come to us through EPCs, they're the contractors that actually do the installations. Um, and we're actually working with some of them as channel partners that they'll actually start marketing us as a finance mechanism. The biggest problem being for the likes of your school or your, or your we are, uh, there's a university that we'll be doing in Dubai, is that actually the upfront money is just too much to, to put in the solar. So um, the EPCs are going to do quotes for these places, but then the offtaker can't afford it. And so, well, there are some options. Here's one of the options. So we have got a, an absolutely massive pipeline actually from across the world of, of, uh, of, of um, EPCs that would like us to fund projects for, for their customers. 
So let's just go down to the, to the model now. You've got m money coming in here. You got you you basically financing these projects over mm -hmm. 20, 20 years. You have to make sure that your overhead, as I said before, is is lower than the differential between the two. Mm -hmm. But you've got another threat, which is technology change. That the fact that you know in five years time, that you or, or even sooner in today's term, you might have better solar panel in terms of the output of those solar panel, efficiency of that solar panel. And now you might have a one solar panel farm competing with a newer, higher, better technology farm, um, but you're still financing that over 20 years. Mm. How do you, it, does that matter? Is that a really I don't problem? think it matters a whole lot. I mean, it's like buying a car. You know, yes, you know in a year's time there's going to be a car with better tech in it, but just you need the car now. Yes. You know, and you might pay it off over five years or whatever. Um, also, solar technology has become incredibly stable. Um, I think we have, there are marginal efficiencies every, every year, but those efficiencies aren't massive. Okay. So, so coming back down to the, the issues that we, I'm trying to unravel. So we've got, we've got that, the differential as the, as the one piece in terms of, uh, and that must create cash flow. Cash flow must be a, an incredible um, strain right now in the early part of, of this journey. Mm. So, and I'm not talking about how, how you're resolving it, but how do you, as somebody who's trying to keep a whole team together, What's the frame, the mental frame that you have to have in order to do that? Because you've got like almost this sort of Damocles hanging over your head the whole time, mm. and you've got a uh, you've got a job to do at the, at the same time. So, so, the the problem with a business like ours is that it, is that you only become efficient at scale, um, and in the early days, it's incredibly tough. Um, we have got two investors, an American investor and a South African investor. They have, con they have given us uh, some funds. They're busy going through a due diligence process at the moment, and that, that will certainly help. But, but uh, you know, to come to the other point of what you were saying there, um, team is incredibly important. Team, vision, focus, desire to make something happen. No one does something like this because they think it'll be a walk in the park. This is going to be always going to be a very, very tough thing to do. Um, and it's very tough. Um, the one, the one uh, I, I, if I split the team into two, the sort of management team, the team that are making things happen, and then my technical team who are doing the software development, my number one rule is don't mess with people's salaries. Mm -hmm. If you've committed to paying people salaries, you pay them their salaries. Mm -hmm. Even if uh, it doesn't matter what you have to do to go and find the money, you, you're going to find the money and pay them the salaries because it's mm -hmm. just not fair. Um, and you need them to focus on doing the job. From the sort of visionary and founder side, um, it is about just doing whatever we can to get through to tomorrow or next week or next month. Um, and I think we are pretty close to resolving those problems, but it's been a very difficult financially draining uh, journey, I think, for all of us. And then you've got the additional issue that you've got, as you say, your, your leadership team is scattered across the globe. Mm -hmm. And how do you then get a single voice and a single direction? You've got quite, quite an interesting way that you meet every day. Well, if I can just take a step back from that, in um, July, June, July last year, my, uh, my colleague uh, Abe said to me, uh, Lisa, we've been accepted into Techstars, Techstars an, uh, an on-site accelerator program. He said, can you come to Cape Town for a bit? And I ummed and awed and I said, okay. And I'd been there for two days and I said, okay, this is it. We have to get everyone here. And the entire team, the management team, all six of us actually went to Cape Town for those three months. 
and that made the most enormous difference from a team build point of view. We got to know each other really well. Our CFO is in America, um, Abe is often around the world. We've got people in Cape Town, people in Joburg. And so what we've, we've needed to do is, is to introduce, we introduce disciplines which we've largely managed to, to maintain um, subsequent to that. So for example, we meet every day at 4 p.m doesn't matter where you are in the world, doesn't matter if you have to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to join the meeting, you join the meeting because we need to, we need to actually compare notes. Um, and so that, that single activity has probably been the most important in terms of the, the team formation on, the, on the, um, the management team side. How open are the, the two big investors to alternative investors? I think that that, that is very, very open at, at this point. Um, our American investor in parallel with all of this, we have decided to, to run an ICO, which will be launched in a, in a, in a couple of months. An ICO being? Uh, an initial coin offering. It's, it's kind of crowdfunding on a grand scale for your business using the blockchain. That's what, 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 the, uh, what, crowd, uh, what the, uh, an ICO really is. Um, and our American investor has chosen, actually, uh, they want to rather, um, than giving us the equity investment, want to put their funds into buying um, tokens on our, in our ICO. And their warrant is, is actually available to, to another investor if they wanted to come in. So we've got a minute left before we have to take a break. And you've got just one minute to explain blockchain to everyone who's listening, because we're all going to take notes. Okay. So the blockchain is a, tech, a new technology that allows people who do not know each other to transact safely without an intermediary. In, in, in summary, basically the blockchain takes the place of the intermediary. I can explain all the technicalities behind it, but that's really what you achieve from a business point of view. It's what is the technology behind Bitcoin, but there's also a lot more that you can do with the blockchain, um, which is some of what we're doing in our business. So the intermediary in a normal world, when we use, let's call it cash, would be uh, the, would be reserve, the, bank the reserve or bank or... You're just a bank. I mean, you yeah. use your credit card. You're using your your bank is going to pay money to somebody else's bank, and they're going to be the trusted intermediary. Right. With the blockchain, you don't need the intermediary. Okay, that's uh, that's probably the most concise uh, explanation I've ever had, but I cannot say that I still understand. But uh, we're going to take a break now. I'll be asking more questions when you're not looking, and I'll come back uh, for the last segment of this interview. Welcome back. Now with me today is Lisa Lynch, CEO of a very, very interesting company called The Sun Exchange. Now, as we uh, heard before, The Sun Exchange is a company that basically sells uh, fractals or parts of or fractions of or shares in solar panels, these little mini parts of the panel, to people who um, basically it's a crowdsourcing, a crowdfunding model, and then those panels are then used in big projects, whether it's in a school or a, or a hospital or some sort of environment. And even recently there's a big project that's going to be uh, commissioned or is being commissioned now in Dubai. And the real issue here is that you've got a piece of technology that's very expensive, um, but has got economic benefits, but the upfront capital costs is just prohibitive for most people to afford upfront. And the way that you actually solve that problem is by setting off pieces of, of that technology to people who then effectively fund it. And that is then 
balanced with an offtake agreement with the hospital, the school, etc., who will buy that electricity over the next 20 years at a guaranteed ESCOM price minus 10%. And that's sort of the model in a nutshell. The issue that we're having, if I can summarize right now, is that we have got two major investors. We've got an American investor, a South African investor, and we've got a, an issue around currently around cash flow right now where the, the volumes on this side are not sufficient in order to create enough real RAND value in order to pay the, the salaries and the overhead that is attributed to developing this, this um, business right now. So, what to do? So the way that I'm thinking about this is, yeah, is that there's, I'm breaking this down into four areas and, and to me there's, I'm talking about the business funding is the one element, the crowd funding or the crowd sourcing or that is the, is the second element. The third is the, the projects, in other words how to get the projects. And the fourth is the people issue. Okay? And then I come back to your title and you're sitting here and I think about you here with the issue and I have to deal with what is presented to me right here. So in terms of the crowdfunding, that's that piece here on the left here, see I'm a visual thinker. I think that your, your role as CEO right now is to do exactly what you're doing now, is to be assist with the marketing and making sure that there are enough people that care about this and your role right now is to assist. It's, I don't think from a, from a business strategy point of view, it's your focus. It just needs to be, I assist with that and my responsibility is wherever I get an opportunity, I assist with making sure that's marketed. Same goes with the projects in terms of uh, if I hear our projects or I can get into the network that we do this, my role there is to assist. The third area, which is the business funding, it could be to assist with finding other equity players uh, investors um, as well. But the real important thing for you to focus on is actually the people, the people side. So this last weekend I watched, uh, I, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but the Mission Impossible. Okay. And the Mission Impossible series, you know, you've got there, you're sitting in, there's this massive chaos going on and uh, Tom Cruise is like laser focused. I mean there's bullets flying, there's somebody like dying right next to him. The car's about to blow up. Something like this. It's all about, there's lots of chaos. But he's just hyper-focused on what his mission is, which is to kill the bad guy. Okay. That's what he has to do. And I take, I take sort of the lesson from that, that your role as CEO is just to be the buffer and the protection and ensure you the engine, while this is all going, the people engine is operating and buffered. So I see your role mentally as the buffer, as you are the moat that protects the, protects the people, gives them direction, gives them comfort, um, while all this chaos is going on there. And you might like in the MI, the Mission Impossible, I was going to say my father, Mission Impossible series, you might like put your finger in where the person's bleeding there while you're busy shooting here, <laughs> but you're still hyper-focused on, 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 on what your, your particular yeah. mission is. Yeah. Because the moment you don't do that, then you've got four problems. Yes. Okay, and four problems makes the whole thing unstable because mm. if, the, the, if the, the business funding, if they are looking for additional funding and they see that this piece, the fourth piece, is not working, it becomes much harder than to get that. 
if and same with the projects and same with with, with the crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So, as as unsexy as it might be right now, I think just being the buffer and protecting your team right now and making sure that they deliver on Mission Impossible right now, while all this chaos is going on, is what your role is. Mm. I think that's right. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. Up next, seventh leadership. It's about being selfless. Here you will do whatever is required for the betterment of mankind. Welcome to our leadership series uh, on the Big Small Business Show. Now from time to time we bring you different series on the show that affect us as small businesses. From leadership, which we're going to be speaking about uh, over the next couple of weeks, to finance, which we speak about in very important subjects for small businesses, to sales, which is very, very important for getting uh, our business into a profitable state. Today uh, in studio we have somebody who needs no introduction. Uh, Bonang Mohale is the CEO of uh, Business Leadership South Africa and he has had an incredible journey as, uh, in the corporate sector and now giving back to South Africa, always giving back to South Africa, but is well known as a leader in this country. And I think we are very relieved to have him in the leadership position he is in today. Um, so first of all, I want to welcome you. And today we're going to be talking about um, servant leadership and why I want to talk about that is because I see you as the epitome of ser servant leadership. I've heard you speak about it, I know you're passionate about it, and I think in South Africa it is one of the most important styles of leadership that we need today. What, do you, what are your thoughts on the subject? Alan, thank you so much for having me. You have been extremely generous with your time. I don't think there's any subject that is written about as much as leadership. Even when one peruses the many pages of the Bible, I don't think there's one that comes up as often as leadership. About three weeks ago, I dared to Google it. I had 238 hits. So for me, leadership is about being genuinely obsessed with the development of others. If I compare and contrast it with just management, management is about getting things done through other people. It's about the effectiveness and efficiencies in climbing the corporate ladder of success. Leadership, on the other hand, it's about really coming up um, for some air and really, instead of being self-centered and egocentric, but be other-centered. And when we talk about servant leadership, it is actually tautologous because leadership implies two things. That one, you need to invoke followership. Mm -hmm. You need to have some sort of a compelling vision. Therefore, it's more than just getting things done through other people. It's about saying, how do I wake up every day, every hour, every minute, wanting to catch my people doing the right thing on the act, palette highlight, and celebrate them. Because I'm so at peace with myself that I've stopped worrying about the self. Now I am looking at being in the presence of genius and excellence. So for me, when we say servant leadership, sometimes if you're a politician, you think it means a leader who has many servants. 
Uh, whereas it's supposed to mean a leader who serves others. And when you say serve, it says I will always act in the best interest of others. Never self-enrichment, never self-effacing, therefore never self-consumed. So, so when you speak about that, it implies in my mind a, a level of personal development about knowing yourself, about being comfortable with making somebody else as the center because the opposite seems to be egocentric leadership which is it's all about me and about my vision and my what I want and not about you and when you've personally developed then you are able then to be in that position absolutely my grandmother used to say it's fantastic for you to think that you can but when you think only I can that's an ego speaking. And when you look at, since time immemorial, you open the two thick wooden doors of the Apollo Museum in Greece, the first thing that you see in bold, it says, know thyself. Because leadership is also a little bit about self-mastery. Mastery, because you're not just acquainting yourself with yourself. You have been in your own skin for a period of time. You are comfortable with your own abilities and capabilities. You have paid your school fees. Therefore, you are now getting into a higher realm where you start doing things for others. Because when you do things for yourself, we call you selfish. When you do things for others, expecting something in return, even if it's recognition, we say you are unselfish. Seventh leadership, it's about being selfless. Here you will do whatever is required for the betterment of mankind. You will do that when nobody is watching. You'll do that in the middle of the night. You'll do that even if you will never get recognition because we could achieve so much if we did not care about who takes the credit. But, but how do you in an organization, because leadership is also about the empowering of other leaders. So how First of all, do you inculcate that kind of culture? I, I, I get that you could role model it, but how, first of all, because not all leaders are equal. You, let's say you've got in, an example of, you've got a team of five or six people in your organization, and you're trying to e evolve their leadership capability. How do you identify who's going to become a servant leader? So first of all, you're absolutely correct, Alan. You start first by saying, I've just assumed this new responsibility. I'll probably do it for three to five years. And it's a conscious, purposeful, deliberate position you take. You could have said 15 years, but you want to limit it yes. so that you don't overstay the hospitality that has been extended to you. So one of the very first tasks we are required and called upon to do is to start looking for your successor in case you fall off a bus or you don't wake up the next morning. Because when I was young, I used to think, because that's what we were taught at business school, that leadership is about the maximization of profits. Later on, I understood that it's actually not maximized, but optimized. Now that I've lost my hair, in fact, now I know that the purpose of business is survival. Because if you can survive, you can make profits until they come out of your ears. How do you survive if you are the only one in the room that knows where things are, how things are done? So the first task 
of any leader from day one, from go get, is how do I start identifying somebody that will possibly take over from me? Planned, purposeful, deliberate, and conscious. But also you are saying, things happen. You get a heart attack. How do I make sure that somebody is ready but accepted by the team? It's an obvious choice. I find in my head, you do that by being very purposeful. Instead of picking an individual, you start with a process. And the process says, how can we establish a foundation of trust where all of us start from the premise that says we're in it for the greater good, not about me, myself, I. Instead of second-guessing you, you know that I've got your back. I trust you not because I can finish your sentences. Once I've moved from that foundation, I then say, how can I invite conflict into the room? Business schools have even courses around conflict management, conflict is bad. Healthy organizations, they want that conflict because they thrive. You say, before you pick a choice of a path, a position, a perspective, you must have at least three on the table. That comes when people are free to speak their mind, not wanting to impress the boss, not wanting to demonstrate how educated they are, not afraid that if I say something, maybe it is stupid, therefore I die with it, and it could be the most brilliant idea. The third, it's about committing to action. To commit to action, to say, I put my idea in the, on the table, I am the MD, the CEO, the president, but as I put my idea on the table, the title falls away. It's going to be evaluated exactly together with every other idea. We pick one that's in the best interest of the company, this time in this country, in this context. You go to your office, you put systems and process in place for the attainment, for the continuance, for the success of the entity, not because it wasn't your idea, precisely because it wasn't your idea. Then you develop a system where you hold each other and one another finally accountable. In bad companies, nobody holds anybody accountable. It's like government. In good companies, the boss holds everybody accountable. But in healthy organization, every single solitary one of an ex of six, eight, feels sufficiently empowered to hold each other and one another finally accountable. If you did that, their extraordinary outcomes can only be a logical choice. You lay that process and then you watch out of your colleagues who is the closest aligned to those behaviors, not to who remembers it best, but who leaves this that you've just agreed. It's simply a way of working. And the one that comes close emerges. The others nod and say, you know what? This one has emerged as a leader, demonstrated beyond the nature of doubt and we have earned the trust and indeed the respect. In that way, you have dealt with succession without even talking about succession. It is an every minute uh, activity. It is conscious, it is purposeful, it is deliberate. Leaders don't emerge by accident. Then you cancel coach and hold by the hand, then you talk about mentorship, then you start talking about creating a culture that is indeed liberating, empowering, that allows people to feel needed and wanted. Uh, Bolang, that's uh, all we got time for today. Fascinating. Um, I'm very excited that we're going to continue this series uh, next week. And next week, we're going to talk about vision and, and what vision and leadership, why vision is so important in leadership. Uh, that's it uh, for, for today's show. Please stay tuned for, to see what's coming up next. 
if you see two people, two partners who started a business, even if they're equal partners, where they're both vying to be the face man, I see that as the source of the, the end. Welcome back. Now, if you've been watching the show for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that uh, we are changing everything up in 2018. We are uh, shooting from studio. We're shooting from my offices, which we where we are today. We are shooting from your offices. We come to you and talk to you, the entrepreneur. You'll also know that we have been listening to you, been asking every single week, what do you want to have on the show and what we heard was that you want more in-depth discussions around certain subjects. One of those that came up strong was marketing and branding. Of course we have our marketing and branding guru specialist uh, Mona Lisa Sam who works with Kumaran and I on the panel section of the show and uh, today we are talking about a sensitive subject and I know that Mona Lisa was a little anxious to talk about this today and it's called um, the right face of the business. Now you'll know that uh, certain people are meant to be the face of the business and we'll talk about what that means and certain people are quite clearly the wrong person to be representing even the business that they formed. Why are you so sensitive about <laughs> talking about this? It's very, um, it's personal, you know, I think to somebody who has founded a business um, and taken it to a particular point, right? And as we always talk, when you introduce the show, we talk, we're saying we're helping you in different phases of your business. Mm. And it, it, there comes a point when the business, um, you know, from, from, let's call it behind the scenes, you've built everything that you needed to do. But now from, let's call it a interactive um, with clients, interaction with um I mean, you can't avoid your staff, I mean, by no means, but interaction with external parties. Are you the right face? And face is not whether you're ugly or, or not, but are you the right representation? But let, let's unpack that a little bit more, because somebody is watching these things, well, maybe their face, <laughs> maybe I'm the, wrong, I'm the wrong face. It's not about your looks. No, it's, absolutely it, not. It, what, what is it? Is it about your, the way that you communicate? Communicate. It's, it's, it's absolutely about how you communicate. And I, you know, I always think back, you know, when I used to write my CV, is to say, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Mm. Um, and you find some people are good at one, when I talk about communication. They're either good communicators in writing mm. um, or they're good communicators verbally or can be a combination of both. Not everybody has that. So you may be excellent in writing and writing content for your business, writing strategies, writing all the things that speak to your business, but you may not be able to communicate that verbally. Yes. That's critical when yeah. you now interact. So that's what we're talking yeah. about. How well do you communicate um, mm -hmm. to external parties so that when they're interacting with you, it's very clear in terms of who you are, what your business does, and is a reflection of everything else that comes uh, with you. Mm. Because remember, if you're a bad communicator to some people, it says, or clients, 
well, this person's probably got poor salespeople, poor customer service. Mm. I'm not convinced that I'm going to get um, this, this, the kind of uh, service that I need mm. based on, on what's been communicated to me. We've seen, we've seen on the show, when, particularly in the panel, when there's two partners, um, there's one that's clearly the, the, what I call the face man. Is yes. the, is, is the that it could be a woman, that's just a <laughs> term. Um, is clearly the communicator, is clearly the right representation. And sometimes it's not the CEO, it's the COO or the uh, technical person who's far more verbal and far more, a, a far better communicator. But let, let's, let's talk about that because being a good communicator is one thing, but knowing your stuff is another. You can have a, I, somebody who's incredibly good at articulating stuff, but if they don't have the in-depth knowledge, you're not really a good face man. No, and that's what I'm saying. You know, when you're a founder, so we, we're taking into the context of a founder, yeah. the whole idea of who you associate with and who you work with is about complementing each other's strengths and, and, and enhancing each other's weaknesses, right? Mm. So you exactly that. You may, you may not be, um, you, you should well as the founder have an in-depth knowledge of your business. Yeah. But if the right face, you're not the right face or the right representation, you need to make sure that the person that is going out then is the one communicating about the business has in-depth knowledge. Um, and that in some instances happens when you have two partners, co-founders, because mm. they're very I immersed in the business. But if you're going to employ somebody from outside, it becomes then very important. So all we're saying is that identify that gap and then have a way as to how does that get you know uh, mitigated. Because you don't want someone speaking kind of not reflecting what it is that your business is about either. They may be saying all the right things, but they may be speaking fluff to your external yeah. class. Exactly. Now, you, now you're in another quandrum. Um, yeah. So it's just about, it's having discernment, I think, Alon, about what it is that is important for, because I think the personalization in being a founder is sometimes the difficulty not being able to admit that I'm not capable of doing this. You but see, you said it. <laughs> you <laughs> you said see it. how I took a pause? Because yeah, yeah. um, I, think, I think what you have to understand is what Mona Lisa is trying to get across here is that when you are giving people advice and it's quite clear that they're the wrong person, it's very difficult to, to, to actually to say, to say that. It. Yeah. yeah. And as an advisor, I think, you know, when we've had, for example, on, the, on, on in studio, when we've, we all three have, have already seen, without talking to each other, we always find a way mm. to kind of give the message across. But we never give it in a way that's, that kind of puts the other person out. We also I focus on that person's yeah. strengths yeah. so that they have a complementary relationship. It's about building compliments. But, but just to, to, you know, we're coming close to the end now, but I think what's very important for me, this is my, my experience, is that if you see two people, two partners who started a business, even if they're equal partners, where they're both vying to be the face man, I see that as the source of the, the end mm. because they both want to be in the, in the limelight, for example, and so one is going to be obviously better than the other. And I've seen it on too many occasions over my 18 years now doing this, that, um, that when two of you are wanting to be in the li limelight, it creates issues in your partnership and, and the, uh, the dominant uh, person and not necessarily the right person uh, then becomes the f the face of, of that business. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. It's uh, it's 
yeah, it is a challenge because, and, and I always reflected back, what is most important for the, what is, what is the business need, you know? And, and if we're already fighting about who's doing the radio interview, um, you know, because there's a kind of a competition between the yeah. two of us, it's problematic. Um, there's a, a deeper problem there because you're not thinking about what's important for the business or what's right for the business. Um, and, and I think also, just in, it might be a different topic altogether, so many um, entrepreneurs focus on this limelight, this limelight, this limelight, um, because it, and then it becomes an addiction, yes. right? And I, I think that <laughs> I, I want to talk about that. I want a whole a whole section Let's on do that. that yeah. We'll talk about that because I've seen that as the beginning of the end for many. Yeah. Well, that's it uh, for today. What I learned today was that, that um, the right face person is the one with the better verbal communication. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, the right face person. You see how I've become gender uh, uh, neutral. The face person is uh, the one who needs to have uh, the right knowledge, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. know the business inside and out so mm -hmm. that when you ask questions by the press or whomever that you understand what you do. Uh, and to ask yourself in terms of if there's multiple people, um, what does the business need? Is it... Um, you know, right now, and and who is best to represent that? And if Mona Lisa ever says to you, "You're the wrong person," just forgive her. Okay. <laughs> well, that's it uh, for today. I hope you learned as uh, much as I did today. Um, really fascinating stuff. Thanks for watching. Well, it's time for my reflections for today. And today, I want to talk about getting out there, going out to see clients. I went to visit uh, one of uh, the businesses I'm involved in the other day and uh, I could feel the anxiety with the entrepreneur who I was sitting with, one of my partners, um, sort of looking at his watch the whole time um, and saying, you know, I don't want to be rude, but I've got uh, a client to go to just now and I've, you know, we're running a bit uh, close to the edge of uh, when we booked our time. And, uh, you know, in the beginning I was thinking, well, you know, uh, I felt maybe a little affronted, maybe my ego was a little bruised by, by that. And then I th reflected on that on the, in the car back and thought, well, isn't that wonderful that he takes his clients that seriously and that he's out there. So I phoned him later that afternoon because we had to continue the conversation and I said to him, when can we meet again? And he said, look, tomorrow I'm out at clients all day and so, and so am I on Thursday. Uh, perhaps we can meet uh, Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning. And to me, what was uh, very interesting about that is that it was one of the most successful uh, businesses in, in, in our portfolio. And there is the CEO, okay, who runs a substantial business out there seeing clients on a regular basis. And that's not true for all entrepreneurs. And in fact, I think there is um, almost a foot of the pedal kind of attitude as we become more successful as entrepreneurs and as we outsource sales to a sales team and we start in some instances even abdicating sales which I always talk about as the wrong thing to do. It becomes easier and easier not to go out there. So I want to encourage you this year if you are running your own business and uh, uh, you are tending to see customers less and less as your business grows to stop doing that, to start going out there to see your clients, your current clients, future clients and even people who've rejected you in the past to get insight into why they rejected you. Being out there, I think, is the biggest gift 
you can give to your business because it gives you the kind of insight into what the customer wants and therefore your ability to design better product and better solutions for your clients, keeping you relevant, top of mind and ensuring your growth. Well, that's it for my reflections for today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. Well, that's, uh, that's it for today's show. Remember, if you... Th no, don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> you sound so relieved. <laughs> I got through this. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes the answers are not like they're, they're that simple. It's just mm. about a mindset. The Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. And the courage to grow is business. MTN Business. A new world of business.